Hey everyone, welcome to She Brigade, the podcast. I'm your host, Bilun Jamusemeche. At She Brigade, we aim to empower by aspiring to storytelling. On this show, we chat to different phenomenal women around South Africa, and we dive into their stories and journeys that have led them to where they are today. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of She Brigade. So today I have a very special guest on the show, and she's special because she's actually a friend of mine. So I met Tato, we actually met in grade eight, and we started being friends in grade 10 because, and let me tell you guys, <laughs> because, and I'm going to quote you, <laughs> because you thought I was a bitch. <laughs> you actually told me that. But then you got to know me and you realized I'm actually a nice person. I'm, I am a nice person, guys. I'm telling you, I'm not, I know people who say it probably aren't, but I am a nice person. So ever since then, I don't know what happened for us to be friends, but we kind of just connected somehow and we mm. just kept getting closer and closer and closer. And we've been friends since grade 10. I think that was 2009, if I'm not mistaken. So we've been friends since, oh, it's been 10 years. <laughs> yeah, no. We've been friends for 10 years. Um, <laughs> and we so, stuck it out. <laughs> we stuck it out. <laughs> so, yeah, so Tato is here. Tato is a 25-year-old transgender woman from Mafiking. So that's our hometown, Mafiking. Currently, you're working as an actual reporting consultant at Old Mutual, and you studied the Bachelor of Business Science and Actual Science. Um, you're also busy studying to become an actuary. So hi, Tato, and welcome to the show. Hi, Pelo. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have to explain. I think generally, like, you were such a powerful, like, character. <laughs> like, you owned high school. Oh, my gosh. And, like, I was, like, competition. <laughs> <laughs> that is not oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay. So it was like I think I recognized now that like you were very a very strong character, and of course you were like you would have been threatening in a way. Oh my I suppose. Uh, but I, I can't like believe when you told me. <laughs> okay, so Tato, um, as we do on this show, I want you to tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us about where you came from, your upbringing. Um, let's just get to know who Tato is. So, um, I'm actually a nice person too, but... Um, I, I, you are a nice person, I won't, that is true. Yeah. So, I grew up in, in Mafiking, as Belonte said. Um, uh, I went to high school there, so up like a secondary school, and that's where Bill and I met. And after that, um, I jetted off to the University of Cape Town, Um to study a Bachelor of Business Science and Lecture of Science. Um, I finished that and had to escape Cape Town <laughs> in escape. a way and come, <laughs> and come build my life and move on to the next thing. So that's why I'm currently in Joburg and working, working at Old Mutual. Okay, so like, did you always know that you were going to be in Lecture Science? Um, like, how did you get into that? How did you decide? Did you know what you wanted to do post varsity at all? I mean, yeah, in choosing your degree? Um, I'd say that's a very like good question and a question that we discuss a lot as actual science trainees or students. Mm. And you actually have to study the subject for quite a while to actually understand what it is that you actually do. And you also need work experience. So it, it was a huge gamble. Mm. And I think most of us go into the profession because 
we're told that it's very challenging and like you make a lot of money out of it, yeah. <laughs> which is now proven false in a way. Like it's really? you don't do it for the money. Oh, like, okay, yeah. Um, it's actually something that requires a lot more dedication than what perhaps you put into other careers to make more, but you make you making an employee salary. So it's not like so in salaries perspective, it, it it does pay, but if you're speaking about like wealth, um, then there are easier ways to mm-hmm. acquire that. So I'd say maybe in honors, I understood that actual science is about risk. Um, it's about if you think about it, um, there are five people in a town. Um, none of them can afford to rebuild their own house. Mm-hmm. So now, in order to share that risk, they decide to, but they can pay 20% of their houses into some fund that can provide for one house burning. So that type of actual science came up in that framework of how do you determine what each person is supposed to contribute for them to ensure that they're protected, that the asset is protected. Um, What are the chances of a house burning down and okay. in insurers are in the business of playing around with that gamble mm. and saying, okay, we'll charge you this much because we think actually think this many houses are gonna buy. Mm. If more houses burn down than the houses that um than they thought were gonna burn down, that's where the profit comes in and how it becomes like a company. So actual signs, we are the engine in insurance companies. We do the calculations. We design the products, mm-hmm. but now the profession is moving into wider fields um, by actually enhancing our trade. Our trade is thinking. So we are deployed to think and apply those technical expertise towards measuring the complex activities that an insurer does. Okay. Okay, so, so while you were actually studying material science, um, at UCT, you got involved in a lot of things while you were there, right? Yeah. Outside of like just education, just like your course, um, you got involved in the Roads Must Fall. Um, you were also part of the UCT SRC, just to name a few. So why did you join those um, movements and, and bodies? Why did you feel it was important for you to be a part of these movements? Mm, that's a very good question. Um, I think it was a natural turning point for me um, throughout my early like childhood, varsity, maybe high school. A lot of my validation came from my academic excellence. Um, as a young person who was like struggling and negotiating with the internal gender, as opposed to what society was saying to me, um, somebody who was struggling to find themselves or find examples of themselves. Um, it was very like comforting for me to then turn around and say, but I'm academically excellent. Mm. This is what makes me exceptional. Like how are you going to argue with the fact that I'm number one on paper mm. type of things? So that's one way in which I reacted to the challenges that I was facing. But when I got varsity, um, I met my matches essentially. Um, <laughs> yeah, like so. So it's just rough. just to give just to give people some context. So when we finished matric, Tato was number one 
in accounting in the province. And you were number one in accounting, computer science, no, sorry, not computer science, in accounting, maths, and physics in the district. So, like, when Tato says she was academically excellent, like, literally. Yeah, yeah. And, and it came from a, from a very painful perspective. Mm. Like, that was an outcry for me. It was the way in which I responded to the world that was trying to reject me, that was trying to um, organize against me in terms of how also how dating becomes a thing now. Mm. So that's an added layer of um, battling and confusion for me. And it was easy for me to stay at my books. And not only that, I'm thankful that I was gifted enough to be able to be validated, you know, mm. by that experience. But the the truth is a lot of that affirmation that I needed came from like external things. And what happened when I got to varsity and, you know, I was in class with people that were number two, number three in the countries. I made like, literally, I shrank from being an A student to just barely passing at the end of my degree because it was tough. Mm. It was one of the toughest things that I've ever done. Mm. And even getting the qualification itself is proving to be quite challenging because now um, I can't rely on the academic excellence. So why did I, why do I get involved in other things? I needed to find affirmation in other places. And I found the concept of giving back or of going into structures or of creating things that would actually create the world in which I needed at the time. So that's why I went into Rhythmus 4. That's why I ran for the SRC. I remember actually for me to run for the SRC, um, I failed my first course in varsity. And I was like, I have all this time. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like chair of transformation and social responsiveness. What, what does that mean? Like I ran for the portfolio with no experience in student governance, mm. like with basically going around just telling people, look, guys, this is what I'm going through as a trans person in the university. Um, can you guys hear me out? Vote for me to put me in this structure to advocate for people like me that are usually forgotten. You know, mm. it, those spaces were, that's where I reclaimed my power. Um, so yeah, that's what, that's why I did it at the time. We can talk about like how that evolved into like the corporate space as well. Mm. Um, which was which is currently what I'm going through. Okay, and you mentioned like, uh, yeah, I actually do want to talk about how it evolved into the corporate space. So you're currently working as an actual reporting consultant, and you're in corporate, and we all know corporate structures. Oh my goodness, you know, gender, race, and like it's just a mess, <laughs> in my opinion, right? So. Um, so t- yeah, maybe tell us a bit more about that. How has the that what's the difference between how it was in varsity and how it is now in corporate? Mm, I loved varsity, um, academic freedom. For me, varsity was the space in which I reclaimed my identity myself. I couldn't wait to leave my town. I couldn't wait to leave high school because I knew third week of varsity, first year, staying in an all male residence, mm. I had already undergone it like a gender transformation on the outside. Mm. Like I had already started well, dressing. What was that like? Gen- like how do people react to that? Like in an old mirror, can you imagine? <laughs> it was <laughs> it was so difficult. Um, because, but you know what? Like when I look back at it, like it's a source of empowerment. Mm. I was resilient enough to survive in a mirror for two years yeah. um, with the constant 
policing where I was told more than once to not do braids. <laughs> where um, the most, like, in the most, uh, I think the most violent thing was when I would walk around with my friends, which are mostly, like, um, other women, yeah. um, like, suggestions that why don't I get with them? You know, oh I'm wasting yeah. my manhood <laughs> on just hanging out with, I don't know, objects to them or something. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, it was a very, it was a very, like, tough experience, I would say. And luckily, going back to the conversation about going, making, taking action about it, through like one of the organizations that are formed in varsity, we actually now for, we forced the university to recognize that some of the students that they accept that chance, those students can now not be forced to go to a traditional residence mm. where they they actually can choose. They give them all the options. They call them so they receive like extra attention, like the, the type of attention I needed. They listen. Yes. They listen to them. So, yeah, that's also, that's something I can look back and say, whoa. So that's, that's, I actually have the power and control to change my circumstances. Mm, mm. And, and how, and that versus corporate? Um, so in terms of corporate, going back to, sorry for not answering your question, <laughs> we got to be dearing, okay. In terms of like, corp, so the, I loved university because, of the freedom. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. The freedom. And I knew it. You know, I knew it. I was like, I will never have the chance to do or think whatever I want and the chance that I have now. There's no mistake that I can make because I can always say it's it, the university is that space of debate and engagement yes. and of intersection of intersection of cultures, identities. And we really we were at the forefront of thinking around um the post-colonial world and how gender comes into it and what we need to do about it. Then I ended up at the end of my studies at UCT and I had an actual science degree. <laughs> my mom cut me off. <laughs> yeah, well, you had to go. <laughs> and then like, I was faced with the black reality of, no, this is like, she wasn't, she didn't do a bad thing. Like, yeah. when, like you need to go and work <laughs> yes, for yourself. No, and it's not even about blackness, I think. That's, like, just the nature of parenting. Mm, mm. You've got a new degree. Go work for it. Then I had to go to corporate with all those radical politics. <laughs> <Yo>. <laughs> um, with all those radical politics, I had to now go into this hierarchical structure. <laughs> and... I got burned quite a few times. Like, for me to get to a point where now I can exist and thrive in the space. Mm. Um, and the politics, the radical politics, so almost become redundant when you enter the doors, like the radical politics, or the you can't take action. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like that freedom that you yeah. about that you had in varsity. Yeah, you can't, you can't do that. And... Mm. You know, I have a decision to make. Do I really wanna? Do I wanna do that now? Is that what what I wanna focus on? No, nobody's gonna pay me a salary to do that. You've signed a contract. <laughs> you said you'll yeah. yeah. And one thing, it wasn't even about my transness or my blackness. It was about the fact that I could of my productivity. Mm. It was my productivity that mattered now, and now I've had to figure out how am I gonna scratch that? How am I gonna 
deal with that feeling of not, I want to feel like I can take action and I, like I'm, I'm investing the time in terms of thinking about it mm. and thinking of how like I can exist in this realm. Cause it's only been what three years now. So there's a lot of growing to do. Mm. Um, yeah. So the, that's where I'm at now. Okay. And so like, tell us a bit about some of your highlights and lowlights on your journey and in your story. Hmm. I think the highlights like was definitely high school. Is <laughs> <laughs> that because you were number one in everything? Yeah. <laughs> Literally everything. Like, it was nothing is as satisfying as walking up on stage <laughs> when you're number one. But then, <laughs> but um I think uh my highlights have been the moments in which I've made like the deepest mistakes and I'm a very negative person. So um, I would view, uh, for example, my involvement in so many societies in varsity as a distraction for my academia because mm. now I couldn't get the marks that I wanted. But then now in terms of rephrasing that and saying, actually I did well. Like now I, I came out a well-rounded um, graduate this is way like, so I'm trying to turn everything around, all the lows into the highs. Mm. And I suppose also identify where this, the significant challenges are that, that I actually, that I can draw from my experiences and that I need to work on now. Mm. So I realized that I actually spend a lot of time doing work for other people. And that was basically a symptom or a reflection of the amount of work what, I needed to do What do you do mean doing work for other people? Like, I spent a lot of time, like, in within organizational structures. Oh. And I spent a lot of time. My degree took up a lot of time. Um, and, like, what I've learned now is that you actually need time to yourself. You actually need to sit down and do nothing. Mm. But, like, be intimate with yourself. And I've missed out on that. Like, that's the one thing I've missed out. So now I have to get, like, a large serving of that mm, i think mm. so how are you how are you doing that now how has that become like how are you incorporating that incorporating that into your current life mm. in today's world because you know like I, I get what you're saying and you know like if you go on social media they talk a lot about self-care and self-love and it's like a thing now and it's trending very and you know it's like oh the mask oh let's mm. mask oh let's you know, take a bath but that's not really I mean that is self-care. That's a that's a form of self-care, but there's a deeper level of self-care that you need to give yourself as well. So and that's I think that I think is the part that nobody really talks about, you mm. know? Like mm, mm. it's not nice, it's messy. It's messy, it is. <laughs> it's messy it is, as, right? It's so I can't say I was about to say messy as what what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's what I found out. And I've been lucky in that. When I saw my baggage, I dived straight into it. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I died, not knowing when that was going to come out. Um, I took an active decision to focus on my mental health. And that meant getting a whole suit of medical practitioners to, because I'm definitely living in a very stressful world where I'm facing challenges in many fronts due to my identity as a person. Like, it's when I leave work, it 
the trans thing comes back. I'm reminded that I'm trans. I'm reminded um, of, I face so many other challenges outside of the corporate space. Mm. So recognizing that what are the mechanisms that I need in order for me to survive? And immediately I knew that I needed a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Like I needed, and I didn't know why. Like I just thought, I think it was because we tend to use our friends as therapists or psychologists. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're not really qualified for that. Mm, it's also, dangerous. <laughs> it seems all of us at this age, we're having our own issues. All of our issues are coming back. So that tightness, we're not there for each other anymore yeah. for now, I suppose. So I needed somebody to talk to and somebody to work with. And that process has been quite ph- phenomenal for me at the moment. Um, so I think talking to someone or some form of reflection i suppose mm. um is necessary in this day and age yeah like therapy is actually something that people don't talk about enough um i i went for therapy last year and it was very revealing in a in a bit of an uncomfortable way but also by the end of it so i stopped going at some point and by the end of it i was like oh my goodness why hasn't anybody told me to do this before and I think it's so unfortunate that we don't talk about it and our parents don't tell us about it. And, you know, our sibling, well, not us, well, my sibling actually told me about it. My sibling's a social worker. But uh, our friends, people don't encourage it. Do you mm. think it's a society? There's like, a stigma around it. There's a stigma around, around it. it. And you don't have to be broken to go. I think, I think maybe that's what pe- people mm. think. Like, if you're going for therapy, something is wrong with you. But it's not necessarily that. Like, I love that you mentioned therapy as a form of self-care because... It doesn't mean something's wrong with you as a person. It just it's just another way of taking care of yourself, taking mm. care of your mental health. My mom, I feel like I'm talking to her. This is not about me. <laughs> I just get to put it when I'm with like, you. <laughs> I'm literally listing like all the points that I wanna. Because yeah. I think you're right. There's a stigma around <laughs> mental health issues in general, mm. um, and yeah, I mean it's very unfortunate that mental health interventions are inaccessible. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> They're so inaccessible. Like, it's costed me tens of thousands it's of rands. expensive. Rent, like, to see a therapist. That's mm. in its own is it. So if we come from, if we look at the history and the inequality in South Africa, do you think that if people grew up in an era where there wasn't free therapy in the, or they couldn't themselves afford to go to therapy, mm. how is it going to be, who's going to tell you that you need to go, Yeah, you know, yeah. So that's well, why I'm like, I was lucky that something in me was just like, it clicked. call, find a black woman psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> and I literally went on Google and like, I found someone, luckily the person I called with is amazing. Um, and, and yeah, it's, you know why therapy is actually, cause you get to uncover all the sources of unhappiness that you have and all the issues mm. that you're currently facing. Mm especially somebody who was positioned like me because how I was reacting with the world, like imagine that uh, conflict between how you feel inside, who you are, um, you as a person and like what society is saying. Mm. So I found myself in a position where like all I saw was conflict around me and it had defeated me. And Mm. I didn't know, like I was actually 
feeling the brunt of it, especially now moving into a corporate space mm. where I'm not actually doing anything right now to improve the circumstances for the next You can't have to person. deal with it. Well, I, ca- I still can, yes. but I'm primarily here to work. Mm. <laughs> like, I'm not here to transform um, the gender landscape of the company. I'm there to do my responsibilities mm. as an actuarial specialist. So naturally then I was forced to say, okay, I'm going to sit down and understand exactly what's been driving me for the past 25 years of my life and sort of map out, map it out and identify where the holes are and having someone to actually help me with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a priest necessarily doesn't have, you can access that kind of, um, I don't know, mentorship or something. Uh, for you, in order for you to figure out how you're gonna, you know, where those gaps are and what do you need to actually deal with before, because our lives are getting set now. Like <laughs> they're getting things are getting solidified. Yeah. So for me, it was a great time for me to actually take that step. Mm. And it's transformed your life. Mm. Is that dramatic? Mm. <laughs> Is that dramatic? <laughs> It hasn't really transformed my life. <laughs> okay. <yet. laughs> oh, there we go. Um, but my life is transforming. Ah, yes. <laughs> I like that. I, no, I like that. Yeah, yeah. my life is transforming. It has been a good aid, but I think a lot of it has been my perseverance, my resilience, my intuition, um, my strength as a person. That's I did that. I'm the one who's been surviving for 26 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and I've actually gotten to the point where, like, I appreciate that. And I'm like, okay, um, I've restored my self I'm in the process of restoring my self-confidence. Um, you know, with we you talk about on the show, that comes out in terms of a, the mechanism of dealing with imposter syndrome mm. to remind yourself of what you've achieved Mm. And what you've overcome to get where you are in that boardroom, you know, for you to be the one who's actually, I don't, I don't want to glamorize it, but knowing the job market in South Africa, like for you to actually have, to be in a position where you are contributing value at a very, at the cutting edge, you know, so yeah, so self-confidence has also come out as a mm. as a major stumbling block. So would you say, like, because um, earlier on you mentioned that you were seeking validation from your academic excellence, you were seeking validation from um, where you played a role in varsity, so like with, your, with the student bodies and all of that, would you say now that validation is starting to come more from within and you are now validating yourself, so that's kind of... Yeah, that's absolutely hundred yeah. percent correct. Yeah, and that's and it's purely due to the circumstances that I'm in right now. Yeah, you know, and and that's beautiful, right? It's, and yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm actually I'm smiling right now because I'm like, I love it. You yeah. need to be able to to be able, and it's hard to be able to validate yourself. It's like it's imposter syndrome, right? It's like, am I worthy? Mm. Like, why me? Type of thing. Mm. Or like, you don't even ask yourself that question. You're just depressed. Sad all yeah, the time. Yeah, you and have you, a negative outlook. And you don't understand why, but it's just it's just mm. you. It's become... And that's limiting your power as a person. That's like the one thing that mm. I know I can actually measure. The, um, the reduction in my contribution or intelligence or 
in my honesty, mm. whenever like I'm nervous and I can feel it. Like whenever the time for me to now talk comes, like I can feel, oh my gosh, I'm getting a little bit nervous now. Mm. That's that's for me, that's imposter syndrome. Then I have to now, but because I'm aware of it, I can, I have to phys- like say to myself over and over again, no, I'm actually, the contribution that I'm making is mm. actually valuable. Mm. Um, I'm, it's not that I'm lucky to be here. The company is lucky that I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And so, um, I, so we've spoken a bit about um, what you're doing at work currently, but you're also still doing a lot for the for the trans community, for the lesbian gay community. You're doing a lot for that at the moment. You're sitting on the board of Iranti, the organization. So, can you tell us about that organization? What you do? And what role it plays in your life, or what role you play in it? Mm-hmm. So, Iranti, I think in about a year or two into my working world, um, I was approached by the executive director to sit on the board. How, um, how did they know about you? They knew about me from my involvement in the trans movement oh. through my varsity years. Okay. And they were like, you know, they have a whole philosophy around upskilling and, you know, upskilling trans people. So it was an opportunity for them, I think, to A, get access to some of the learnings that I have, my background in finance, and also an opportunity for me to grow and ask myself general questions to learn about governance Mm. and what it means in practice and the penny is dropping. Like, now I'm like, whenever in my term right now, I understand what board of directors do. Like, the very essence What of do they do? <laughs> I actually want to ask, what do you actually do, though? I was like, I'm, I'm probably never accepting that position because it comes with so much responsibilities. Oh, so what do you do? So, essentially, we... Well, I'm, this is not the official definition, but I'm going to speak about what I think we, I've been seeing oh my God. that we're doing. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but then, like, we discuss very serious issues about the organization, yeah. the funding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. for an NGO, the fundraising aspect of it, mm. um, you know, HR issues, and um, we talk about, we look through audited financials, um, we keep the direct, the executive director accountable in the other office bearers. And yeah, like in the most powerful thing when I say the penny job is when I realized that the decisions that we're making have a material effect on the organization. And I was like, yo, like that's deep. <laughs> I was like, it's connected to the heart of the organization. Yes, yeah. And they drive like the long-term strategy and determine um, the direction that that the company that the organization is uh, going in, which affects everyday people. Mm. Mm. Okay, so okay, so also in addition to Iranti, um, you're also co-founder of Papama Sedi. Um, can you tell us about that and what that's about? Um, so Papa Masedi is uh, a registered student organization at UCT, mm. um, and it has evolved. Like it would be interesting to see 
the kind of things that are doing now, that the organization is doing now. But it came out of a project um, that some UCT students, I was actually invited into it, um, in actors, yes, in actors. Oh, it was, yes, in actors. It was sort of related to that in the sense that in actors, I think, I believe at the time, was organizing students um, to give mentorship to local businesses. So you mean, okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty... I walked into the whole situation as it, would ha- as it was happening. But what I saw in it was, look, we're going to take our skills as university students. We're going to walk out into businesses in the community and we're going to try and do some kind of skills transfer- transferring because generally small, medium enterprises, they do not have the kind of capital to get your some of your high-end, um, some of your high-end clientele or consultants to be able to assist them with day-to-day issues like um, how do I get my invoice system sorted? Mm. Why are my sales not increasing? Mm. Those are some of the questions that you can answer already in second or third year in a commerce degree. So I got involved in that project and that project sort of the same people it involved was to actually organize, to organize this system of employing or not employing, but it's a student organization. So you join it just like any other student organization. Mm-hmm. And then once you join it, you're allocated an entrepreneur um, and it's a formalized society okay. where there is this linkage between local businesses and um, and, and university students. Mm-hmm. Sounds so, amazing. Yeah, it, it, it is amazing. Although... I would give much of the credit to the team itself. Yeah. I think it was an honor for me to be able to be there as as somebody who contributed to the conversation. Mm. And and the trans collective? So the trans collective the trans collective actually came at a time when I think it was at the peak of my disillusionment with um any form of struggle and especially at the time there was this black struggle right so there's a tendency for us to take struggles and paint them with one i don't know what does the word say with the same brush yeah <laughs> yeah so there was the whole rose must fall movement and you know we united as black students but it became evident our worst nightmares was that we would get forgotten as trans people Mm. So we formed at a time when, so our motto was that we're reclaiming our space within the broader decolonization project, which is what we were attempting to do at the time. Um, I don't, do I need to explain decolonization? But <laughs> no, I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, at the time. So we noticed that although we were with our black brothers and sisters, um, whenever we needed to actually talk about the issues that we were facing as black trans people, there wasn't a reciprocation of effort, of care, of empathy, um, to the extent that, um, you know, once the whole, I've actually had a nightmare about this, but, but once, imagine we were supposed to solve the black struggle and then now we have to determine land allocation. Suddenly we're surprised that 
trans people aren't getting land. <laughs> We're jailing them because it goes against the Bible. Oh, <laughs> was already. such a nightmare. Yeah. nightmare yeah. <laughs> and like, it was such a like, The nightmare happened the way I think it would happen, which is like, you, they're not going to come arrest you for being trans, but they'll just be like, Pato, the Pope want to talk to you. Okay, you get they there. They you in. You chill. <laughs> they like, want to ask you a few questions for three days. We'll just keep you in a holding cell for now. Don't worry. We're waiting for a judge. Then, like, years go by and you see other queer people coming. <laughs> so, yeah. like, so we decided to now divorce ourselves from the Black struggle and, or maybe within the Black struggle, create a smaller enclave mm. that would prioritize Your our needs. Yes. Okay. So that was one of the most validating projects that I've ever done. That's why I'm still in it, mm. in a way, even though now it's complicated because I'm in corporate and I have to subscribe to a very conservative um, ideology. Uh, so, but I'm I, like, it's one of the most beautiful things because I got to the gift of language. Yes, I got the gift of language. What, what do you mean the gift of language? So... I could actually, I was in a room full of people and we were naming things and labeling things that we were facing, our experiences, we were validating them mm. and giving them, because it's a university space. So it's within this academic enclave where like I got to actually say, no, but the reason why I feel this way and I feel rejected and I feel neglected by society is because there's an actual system that is enforced, that is the result of our history, um, the in particular how colonization and the effect it had on gender, on wealth distribution, you know. So that sort of language, which, which isn't really accessible outside of university, was the language that it was. It's a privilege to have been able to acquire it. Yeah, you don't go to work and be like, oh, <laughs> decolonization. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Yeah. Like, no, but you can. Well, you could. I but suppose. you can't try to decolonize it. Or maybe you good well, luck. <laughs> you can try. I'm sure good you can luck. Try. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the trans collective the trans collective is a collective of students at the University of Cape Town who are it's evolved into like a disruption movement now. We're very, the Trans Collective is very militant in its approach. <laughs> but militant, not in a violent way. Mm. Like, for instance, when we campaigned for the SRC, um, we we did it topless. <laughs> because we wanted, because often, like, trans people, trans women in particular, are so, like, are seen as men. People refuse to, like, accept mm. our, our self-identification, our stamp of approval. Mm. Um so then, what does it mean if, like, we were to appear feminine and, like, you know, be in our gender perform, be in our performative gender, and then we just strip? How are you gonna arrest this? SAP is gonna get here, and like, they're gonna pull out our IDs. They're gonna, it's gonna say we're men. But here we are standing in front of you as like people that should have should hide their bodies. Mm. So we would. Like we we're very militant in that sense because that causes like a shock to a person's system. Like imagine <laughs> seeing 
but surprisingly for masculinity he's like it's normal yeah but for us it, it was like a really really effective intervention okay and a way to be seen mm. and you know there's a general trend around women you know protesting top, top, yeah toplessness yes yeah and then we just dis- yeah we disrupted a gallery and even ideologically um we tried to talk about a type of transness that's not linked to how medically like western ideologies around trans people focus on like the first of all you get diagnosed with gender dysphoria like it's very um what they call uh it's very pathologized that's the word so that means that it's a sickness so oh, we okay it, it was actually listed as a it's listed as i'm not sure if it's still listed as a mental illness to be trans oh. like because you have some disconnection to your body they call it gender dysphoria okay. like what you see is not actually what you what you what you what your true identity is uh. and then but it's not only because of that it's also because of how you interact with the world that's what the western ideology ignores we wouldn't need to I personally, I'm not going to speak for other trans people, but my transness does not need to be diagnosed. Mm. It doesn't need to be, yeah, to be diagnosed. But it's a shame that in order for people to do gender affirming surgery, they have to go through that route of being, I don't know, of being pathologized or being diagnosed. Mm. Then you have to then only can you go on into the actual thing that you wanted, which is gender-affirming surgery. So, yeah. Okay. Nice. Thank you. I I love that. I love that um, a lot of what you spoke about, I think you actually specifically referred to it earlier on as well. Um, You do a lot of things for, like what the things that you do have been based on what you've needed, Right. And I say this in every podcast. My favorite quote is, be who you needed when you were younger, right? Um, so, like, I ask all of my guests, if you could go back and tell your younger self something, what would you say to her? Mm, yeah, I know. I actually thought, like, I'm sorry, I've thought about this. But I would say, you are protected on all sides. <laughs> okay. You are protected on all sides. You break every chain. <laughs> you break every chain. Mm. Brace yourself. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much, Tata. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I know a lot of people will be inspired by it. Thank you so much for, like I always say, it's, like, it's hard to share your story, you know. Um, it's hard to kind of dig into that space. So thank you so much for trusting me. And coming to share your story on this platform. Yeah, no, and like I do not speak for anyone. <laughs> yes, it's your story it's and it's your like, journey. And I'm not. And I think people, like we we talked about a lot of things, and what we should take away is that people must go out and expose themselves to lived experiences that are beyond themselves. I think part of living is part is also getting to know other people. Mm. Mm. And that's, yeah, I mean, it's not just why I created this platform. We need to get to know people and get to know people's stories and journeys. You know, those are things that impact our own lives as well. Thank, Thank you. you, Pelo. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, friend. <laughs>
Thanks for tuning in, guys. If you like this episode, take a screenshot and share it with us on Instagram or Twitter at SheBrigade. Don't forget to leave us your feedback by giving us a rating and review on iTunes. See you on the next episode. Bye.